Welcome to another edition of Best Coast Football. I'm Tim Kelly. With me, Cody Peterson, Nate Salinas, and uh, a wild week, not only on the field, uh, with horrible production crews in Eugene, uh, not the Ducks' fault, uh, and um, uh, Utah trying to lose to Arizona, but and coaching firings, but let, let's jump into it, guys. Big game of the week was Battle of North, Oregon, Washington State. The Ducks prevail, but uh, what did you guys think? Cody, what would you see? It was pretty even, sloppy first half. And, uh, you know, in my mind, in the second half, Oregon just dominated the line of scrimmage. I mean, uh, you know, it was, you know, a 10-0 third quarter for the Ducks. Um, Anthony Brown, I think, pretty clearly crossed the ball, crossed the goal line with the ball in his hands. Uh, but because of the terrible TV coverage and mediocre officiating, they called it a fumble and a touchback. Um, if that hadn't happened, it's 45-17 before the Cougs tacked on kind of a garbage time touchdown. I think they scored with 20 seconds left. So final score, 38-24. In reality, you know, it was 45-17 with, you know, then the garbage time touchdown. So pretty dominant second-half performance by the Ducks. And it was it was all – it's all up front on both sides of the ball. Kayvon living in the backfield, living in uh, Jaden Delora's mind. And, and uh, you know, great push up front for the Ducks running game. Yeah, I agree. Overall, I think super, I think pretty impressive victory. I mean, I think Vegas had that 13 and a half points. They won by 14. So it's technically a cover, probably depending on when you got the line. Yeah, I mean, I think that the, there's things to talk about, like on the field and off the field with this game. As you know, we have a running text thread, you know, on the field. I think you nailed it, Cody. I think I think Oregon plays a style that people don't always find impressive because I, I think they spend time setting things up. So I think they'll sometimes, you know, overrun and they'll, they'll, they'll run with, with physical plays, screens around the line of scrimmage almost just trying to set up those body blows to win the second half, even, even if maybe you, you could hit something big early and it might pay off, but it's like, they kind of want to, they kind of want to wreak those blows on you so that by the end of the game, it's, it's easier to, to, to close it out. A couple of things to point out, probably I'll say um, Oregon got up 14 zero early and it looked like they were going to run away. Travis die fumbled. He's been having some fumble problems and that really uh, shifted the momentum and let Wazoo right back in the game. It's tied at halftime. And then from the second half, I think you can argue out, you know, outside of, you know, the really bad fumble called at the, at the goal line with the bad camera angles. It was, it was pretty much a dominant second half, but yeah. Should we talk about the off field stuff or Tim, Tim, do you have something about the on field product first or no, just, I mean, Oregon, just, uh, you know, I thought I said, I thought they might lose, but I mean, 306 rushing yards. Uh, it's hard to, uh, it's hard to lose when you're running the ball that effectively. At six three, and a clip. three different guys with 80 plus yards rushing. Uh, one of those guys, Byron Cardwell is kind of emerging. I think is kind of a really pretty reliable second back behind die. And, you know, with Verdell being out, obviously, uh, last three games, he's averaging 93 yards. So, I mean, He's had several nice games in a row as a freshman, so he's kind of starting to turn it on here down the stretch. Looks a, looks a little eerily similar to uh, LaMichael James okay. as well. Same number, same mm-hmm. shiftiness. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. will, will, off, he fizzle, off, will he fizzle out in the pros in one year as well? <laughs> oh, well, listen, man, it, we, we can't control those things. Okay, it's, sorry, all about, it's all about record-breaking numbers in college. Sorry, sorry. But off the field, I think, Nate, you were kind of just referring to, we talked about this this – fumble fumble that wasn't and um you know the fact that um maybe walk us through that experience um as a fan and just kind of the tv timeout that got taken and and what you how you perceive that so here's the the bigger thing i think for anybody that was watching immediately preceding the game was Ole Miss Texas A&M and you can kind of see that broadcast there's several cameras goal line cameras high level hd like you know borderline 4k this nice broadcast kind of top end folks that game runs a little bit long. So you can literally, 
they transition directly from that game to the Oregon game where you essentially have like two, maybe three total cameras, standard definition, like 480. You got, you got Rod Gilmore, who's never prepared, has no idea what's going on. They're just, filming I mean, on 16 millimeter. <laughs> seriously. I mean, it's, and it, so I, and I think ESPN knows it, right? It's like a cost cutting move that they, they understand the SEC is their cash cow. And so they invest all their resources here. We're getting second runnings. The Pac-12 network broadcast is a better broadcast than this Rod Gilmore ESPN truck that runs around yeah. the country for these. And I think it's abysmal that that the Pac-12 would allow a game that could affect the playoff to be like operated under these circumstances. It's just, I, I think they have to know like how much money is on the line and, and put and, and make sure that the, the proper setup is in place. Not really an Oregon thing because next year it could be USC next the year after that, it could be UW. It's like, it's, if the conference wants to be serious, I think they have to understand the moment and respond properly and i i mean you just there's no way that the, the new commissioner can just allow a, a old miss AM game that while ranked opponents is not for anything to get this sparkling tv product and transition essentially 25 years back in time it's like they should have worn retro uniforms as well you know what i mean like gone so for the whole late 80s i mean there's so, a legit i mean john canzano for uh what, who's he right for, Nate? Oregonian. For the Oregonian, called this out in an article. ESPN responded and kind of half denied it. He pushed back and said, I saw what I saw, and I've got people that are telling me. And there's like legit production people from ESPN that acknowledge that it's called the e-truck. It's everything in that truck is more than 10 years old, and it's it's just their worst truck. And on top of that, to, you know, I, I think there were comments about, you know, they, they don't have the crew on site the day before, so they don't get that same level of like site prep and, you know, they don't need it because they don't have as many cameras to, you know, to coordinate. But at the same time, I, I think the, the word, right, is they call them TV partners yes. and you should be, you're supposed to be partners in producing a product that, you know, people want to consume, like, and you clearly have a business partner that is not invested in your conference. So I think that needs to be a big consideration when when this you know contract renewal comes up. It's like, hey, look, you you guys have clearly. Um, I feel like ESPN has clearly chosen sides, and I don't see how ESPN should be a part of a future TV contract because they haven't held up their end of the bargain, or at least know that this is not good enough, right? There has to be like an ultimatum. It's, it's, if this is if this, this is, is used in your, Colorado, it's one thing, but. Tim you, said it to start it. This was for the Pac-12 North, essentially, right? Like, yep. And it's kind of a phrase you've used in the past. In, in the past, Nate, it's like it's not acting in good faith. Like, like they've consciously made that decision to, you know, provide vastly superior, you know, broadcast equipment and crew and announcers, right? Um, so, well, and even I, I think that needs to be reevaluated. And, and to both of your point, even, I mean, it's like subliminal, subliminal advertising, right? I mean, you watch the, you watch the ESCC game, you got Vanderbilt and uh, South Carolina playing and they've got better production than uh, um, the uh, production than, um, you know, the top Pac-12 game, but yeah. Well, well, hold on. We got to move on. I know, but I want to, I just yeah. want to say one, one more quick thing because Cody mentioned it earlier and, he said, so what about the timeout situation? I think ESPN knows too, right? Because like to hide the shame. So Anthony Brown goes in. I think they clearly know right away that they don't have an angle, that they don't have a camera, that they don't have the production quality to do this replay, even though he scored. And so they go to like a four minute commercial and they happen to come <laughs> out right as the officials are announcing, you know, the, are, in, are announcing the decision. And it's like literally to, to save the shame of going like, yeah, he probably scores, but we don't have the equipment to show you that, you know, and it's like, who wants to say that on, on yeah. air? And so I think they know, and it's just going to be about the PAC 12 saying like, Hey, this, this isn't good enough. And, and I think that yeah. if they want to be considered up there with the other conferences, they, they've, they've got to play their power a little more. Well, speaking of not good enough, Utah, yes, they won, 
but by nine points at Arizona, this was the Friday me, night game. So maybe road, I mean, me, obviously they're overlooking Arizona because they're playing Oregon this weekend. They were completely overlooking Arizona. They sat Tavion Thomas and let him rest up for the game. Like they just, they, so, I mean, clearly they came in confident. I just think that bled into everyone's attitude and approach. I mean, they've got a couple of backs. It's not like, and, and those guys made some plays in this game. I just think it, it sent the wrong message and, and kind of seemed to kind of emanate throughout the team and how they approach this game. So really, really quick, just to tell the story here, uh, 10 and a half minutes left in the fourth quarter, two Wildcats bust through the line and simultaneously block a punt. Ready short picks it up in the end zone. It's a 31 29 game <laughs> with 10 and a half minutes to go. Arizona comes, you know, Offense comes on. They try the two-point conversion. Um, did not happen. And then Utah, you know, responds, gets the ball, goes on a 75-yard, eight-and-a-half-minute drive to go up uh, 10 with two minutes left. So the game, you know, uh, I should say 11 with two minutes left. But so, you know, it was they, – they took control from that moment. But with 10 and a half minutes left, Arizona had a chance to tie it up and have all the momentum at home. So um, Utah was, I wouldn't say they were lucky to win. I think they were kind of firmly in command throughout, but it could have gotten pretty dicey there. They, they, they had to convert a fourth down on that, on that touchdown drive to, to get the win. So it was not like they just, you know, rollerbladed their way down the field and scored a touchdown either. I would actually say that they were a little lucky to win the game. I'm probably, I, I, not like lucky, I get it, but like, let me read Arizona's drive chart to you. And it's not like Arizona was getting like fluky stuff. You know, this is the seller's dweller, 65 yard touchdown on their first drive, 72 yard touchdown on their second drive, and a quick pump. But then a 64 yard drive that ended uh, on fourth and one at the Utah 19 that got stuffed just short. I mean, if they pick up that fourth and one, they might go up 21, 14, you know, and then in the second half, they had a 62 yard drive that ended in a field goal. It could have easily been a touchdown on a 62 yard drive. Then they, you know, and then they had a 76 yard drive that ended in a field goal also, you know, well, well into the red zone that could have been a touchdown. So, I mean, Utah, or I mean, Arizona had like four or five drives of 60 some plus yards easily moving the ball in Utah. I think it's gotta be concerning even without Thomas. So. Yeah, there were some there were some really bad. I mean, you know, Arizona's got some players like guys can just get open, but these were like there were some there were some plays where it didn't look like there was anybody on that side of the field on defense for Utah. I mean, there was just clearly some busted coverages and, and just you know not prepared, um, not 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 a you know instinct. Yeah, not much, <clears throat> not much else to say. I mean, classic. Uh, I mean, who knows? Will Plummer actually played well, right? His best game. Um, but uh, had 43-yard touchdown run and a touchdown pass. But, uh, yeah, I think like we, we hit the nail on the head. Pretty much an over uh, game where they overlooked. Um, so, a game that um, – I mean, uh, let, let's see here. We got three games left. Let's go. Arizona State and Washington. Ah, yes. You knew I was going to choose that game. Um, I don't really know how to describe this game. You, you both watched it. How, how, what would you say? Arizona wins 35, 30 and a late comeback. Yeah. Do you guys mind if I try to tell the story of this game? I'll, I'll, I'll try to be succinct. Go right ahead. So I was feeling really good about my upset pick here. Uh, dogs are up 24, 14. Uh, you know, uh, UW picked off Jaden Daniels. And converted that into a touchdown and scored right as the quarter was ending. So it's 24-14. On the next ASU drive, um, Huskies had a uh, – Arizona committed a pretty bad holding call. Uh, third and 16 from midfield. And Rashad White flares out of the backfield on third down. And Jaden Daniels, you know, just simple catch, you know, 10 – 10 yards down the field, the sideline, no one, you know, just clearly someone, you know, blew a, a linebacker, blew a coverage. Um, he can, he gets 18 yards, converts the third down. 
Um, and that to me is where the game really flipped ASU from that point on, um, they run, they run the ball nine of the next 10 plays score to make it 21, 24 with five forty six left Huskies have a miserable three and out, uh, race Porter has a horrible punt ASU's next, you know, collects that ball. Uh, they run the ball eight straight times for 56 yards and a touchdown to go up 28, 24. Now there's only a minute 11 left. So, you know, if, if you add that all up, you know, ASU ran 18 plays, 17 of them were rushes uh, for, you know, in those two touchdown drives. And just the Huskies just kind of melted defensively. They were tired, missing tackles. You know, Carson Bruner had Jaden Daniels wrapped up and just, you know, slid off of him on that first touchdown there. Um, and then, you know, Huskies have the ball. It's fourth and one. And Dylan Morris throws a pick. Uh, Merlin Robertson runs it back for a touchdown. Now it's 35-24. So, you know, just a massive, you know, fourth quarter meltdown for the Huskies. And then kind of in a kind of crazy fashion, the Huskies somehow scored a touchdown in like 23 seconds after all of that, you know, offensive um, apathy. Recover an onside kick. And then this is to me the most Husky thing of all. They need like a 54-yard Hail Mary to, to, to try to win this game. And, and uh, Dylan Morris throws a ball like eight yards downfield on a crossing route. <laughs> Game's over. So that, was, that wasn't maybe necessarily super short and sweet. But, I mean, it was just – I, I mean, I was watching it with my father-in-law, and I knew the final score. We were watching it you know, on a TiVo, and it was just – I felt bad for him. Just as, I felt bad for Husky fans because it's just – a brutal loss. Absolutely brutal. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. I mean, there's not much to say. I mean, as, as we've, as we had talked about via text. I mean, I know that the plan was to get Heward in there, but it killed Morris's momentum. And yeah, I mean, Huskies had two great drives to start the, to start the game. And you felt like, wow, those are, you know, maybe, maybe two of Dylan Morris's five best drives of the season. And then, you know, they had a, they clearly had the plan to bring, you know, the young QB in on the third drive. And I just think, I think maybe a more experienced or an, an actually experienced head coach, maybe he's like, Hey, Sam, we'll get you in later, buddy. But we got to, you know, Dylan's playing great. We got to, we got to try to win this game. And they, they just kind of like had the blinders on, you know? Yeah. And it wasn't just that drive. So I was going to mention, so, okay, so maybe they get him in for one and it's bad timing because, you know, uh, Morris is playing well. They punt, uh, ASU punts, and so they get the ball back, go back then to uh, to Dylan Morris, you know, who, you know, has a bad drive then out of sync. They punt. ASU punts again. Then you're at about 220 left. I thought this was a really important drive. At the six-yard line, you really need to burn time off. You can get – you know, to halftime up 14-0, ASU has nothing. You don't want to let them build momentum. And at that moment, you throw Sam Heward in, and it's kind of a quick three and out. And then ASU gets the ball back, you know, at the 30-yard line and scores then right before half in kind of that two minutes. I felt like that was a huge miss where if you – you, I think that that's not the moment to give a guy a series where it's like you really need a first down or two. You need to burn the clock. You know, if if you don't score, that's fine. But you just got to make sure ASU doesn't score you at 14-0. So I thought the spots that they threw Sam Curden, even if that was a good plan, just complete misses where they threw him in. Well, I mean, jumping jump into the ASU perspective, second straight week where they've absolutely blown an opponent's doors off in the second half, did it to USC last week, um, you know, did it to UW this week. Rashad White was just an absolute beast once again. 32 carries, 184 yards, two touchdowns. I think he also had 50 receiving yards. He accounted for two-thirds of their offense. I believe that Jaden Daniels completed five passes to individuals not named Rashad White. So just, I mean, he was their ground game. He was their passing game. He was everything. Here's a question. Was the fake punt with race? Do you think that was called or you think that he just has the freedom to go for it if he thinks he sees it? 
Because that know. was that kind of I know they got the pick right after that. I don't. Like, I don't think any punter gets gets up. Uh, you know, audible rights. I mean, <laughs> I think in, in Porter's defense, he is Washington's best player. So <laughs> I guess he got close, but it's like you know what they say: cl- close but no cigar, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, well, what is it? Hand shoes and horse. Wait, hand, <laughs> horseshoes and hand grenades. There we go. Hand shoes and horse grenades. But. Uh, Yes. Well, we will see. Washington then proceeded to fire Jimmy Lake. Uh, yeah. So really, let's tee you up, Tim. I mean, yeah. You know, we talked about, I think we all thought it was more likely than not, but certainly not for sure last week. I mean, it seems like maybe we, you know, Nate, Nate probably had it closest to the right, whereas, you know, almost a sure thing. Um, do you, Obviously, you agree with the decision, as you've said before. Yes. Um, how surprised were you? And, um, you know, top, you know, you had a little bit of time to, you know, there's all, you know, one of the many fun things about fire your coach is getting to imagine all the different options of the next head coach. Oh, yes. Who's who who are your top three and who's like the one or two worst options you've heard thrown out? Okay. Well, do we, well, let me ask you this. Do we want to do this now or do we want to say this a little bit when we talk about Wazoo coaches as well? Let's do it now. Let's no do it now. Like the present? Okay. <laughs> so, um, I wasn't too surprised because Hugh Millen, former Husky quarterback, last week started saying he, he heard Lake was going to be out. And then uh, the pre and post game show host after the game said there's sweeping changes are coming. So when they're when the uh, state-run media is starting to um, report out things, you can see it coming. Um, yeah, I, I was listening to the, some of the pregame broadcasts, and Softy was on, and he they weren't saying he was gonna be fired. Yeah, but they were just talking about how you know these guys are gonna have to stick together and figure it out. And, you know, Jimmy Lake's a good guy, but you know, who knows what's gonna happen. It, it was just very, it was a very odd tone for a pregame. So it seemed like, yeah, clearly the message was already out. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so to answer your question about coaches, um, there's a lot of bad ones. <clears throat> um, Three good ones and one or two really bad ones. Okay. Um, I don't like Wilcox getting floated out. We talked about that yep. because he runs in the same issue. Good defenses can't fit, find an offensive coach to save his life. Um, that's pretty bad. And then Nate and I had talked about it and well, you, you were on the thread as well. So I guess we all three talked about it. Chip Kelly. Like what? <laughs> like, like, like Nate said, he doesn't like recruiting. He's not going to be in SoCal anymore. So, you know, I like how I said SoCal there, Southern California anymore. And uh, <clears throat> like, I, I just, it doesn't make any sense. I don't know. I, I don't, I don't get that one. So those are, those are some disasters. I mean, people are throwing out like Mountain West coaches and I don't really know. I mean, maybe DeBoer from Fresno, but you know, but <clears throat> I mean, obviously the three big ones, uh, Aranda, would be great from Baylor. Um, I'm, I have talked myself into Tom Herman. I am excited for Tom Herman. Bring, bring us Tom Herman. <clears throat> um, and then, I, I don't know. I mean, you, you got to be realistic, right? Guys that have ties to the, to the area. I mean, I would like Billy Napier or Dave Clawson, but very Clawson, no ties. Napier was what at, OC at ASU, uh, ASU for a year. <clears throat> yeah. And then he, Herm, I think Herm said he was happy to keep him on the staff and he bounced anyway. He's like, no, thanks. I'm going back to that. Yeah, then, then or going, to going to take the Kate raging Cajuns job. Raging Cajuns job. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't really, I mean, the weirdest one, I'll just finish on this one. Um, Bob Stoops. Like there's this rumor inside Husky fans think Bob Stoops will come here because he's, ties with peterson so i okay so aranda yes uh and tom herman Her- Herman. i just gave you two i guess that's Kaylin, great kaylin DeBoer. okay all right know. that's exciting yeah so 
Speaking of coaches who should get fired, David Shaw lost again. <laughs> um, somehow can beat Oregon and SC, but when he plays Oregon State, he just gets destroyed. Uh, Stanford falls to three and seven. Oregon State, first bowl game in what, eight years? Yeah, I think since, uh, I want to say since 2013. <clears throat> so that's a big accomplishment for them. Um, I mean, Stanford, I don't know what's going on with Tanner McKee. I don't know if we're going to see him again this year or what. I mean, this is a team that absolutely destroyed USC. In, you know, got Clay, Hy- Clay Hilton fired and beat the best team in the conference, beat a playoff team, but, you know, potential playoff team in Oregon. What? I, I, I mean, they've had more wheels fall off than they originally had on the vehicle. I don't, I don't understand how they could have fallen apart so badly this year, but. Super confusing. To be honest, I was watching an Oregon Duck basketball game this week and it just so happened on the PAC 12 network when it ended, it came up one of those classic games and it was, 2011, uh, Andrew Luck, Oregon versus Stanford, you know, the Michael James, uh, Andrew Luck, you know, Toy Lolo, you know, Darren Thomas. And it, I just saw like uh, Shaw on the sideline. And it was just like, it was this whole like, how did he just become just this shell of like, of what he is? I mean, really, they're one phantom pass interference to call away from being two and eight this year. You know, heading head first for two and ten. They have a terrible recruiting class. The only reason he gets guys anymore is somebody who maybe takes academics seriously. Like the whole operation is severely fallen off. They have no depth. I mean, they've suffered some injuries, there's no doubt, but there's clearly the cupboards bare after a few guys. This roster is terrible. They had no chance to win this game. Zero chance. No, I mean, it was it was 14 nothing. It never got closer than that. I mean, Oregon State was very vanilla. You know, B.J. Baylor ran, ran for 80 yards, but it's not like he was running all over the place. Chance Nolan had a solid game. Uh, I would say a very good game, 19 for 24, 19 for 25, 257, two touchdowns, spread the ball around. But it was just very easy for Oregon State, and they didn't have to do anything special. Um, to absolutely blow their doors off. They out-Stanford Stanford, had 29 <laughs> first downs to 15, 475 total yards to 230. Stanford turned it over three times. Oregon had 36 minutes, 47 seconds time of possession. I mean, that is... That's... Yeah, Beavs only had the punt once the whole game. You know, Stanford is a unique place with unique challenges, academics and recruiting. I think they've even kind of doubled down on that recently with some of the grad program type stuff, you know, not allowing automatic admission for seniors. But I can't think off the top of my head where I can remember a coach like this that was seemed like surefire Hall of Fame, right? Like heading head first for that, like just completely falling off a cliff in this way and, and not like with age what is david shaw is what like maybe 50 yeah like maybe i mean he's young yeah he's... i mean this is you could you could argue has that happened to chip i mean it would it, yeah. to your point it, you know david shaw has stayed at the same school and there's been this you know precipitous drop 49 yeah I, I don't know it's a good point chip is another one i mean chip it might have been just an era thing like he he caught like this kind of blur offense and, and was able to kind of like set up some matchups through his offense that defenses were not prepared. Now there's new substitution rules. I think teams are, are recruiting more to like solve the questions he's asking rather than, than, than vice versa. So you can mention some of those things The David Shostov just makes no sense. Like they used to have top tier offensive line talent. They used to push you around. They were disciplined, physical. This team had nothing. They had no strategic advantage over Oregon State whatsoever. And and Chip uh, Chip seemed to, to want to coach more in the pros. Right. NFL. Speaking speaking of Chip, okay, he became bowl eligible <laughs> this uh, this weekend as well as a very nice forty four to twenty victory over the Golden Buffaloes. Um. <laughs> Yeah, Chip, before he comes north to uh, take over at Montlake, got UCLA to a bowl game, so good for him. But, uh, yeah, I this is a game, I'll admit, I didn't really 
watch too much of or you know the highlights UCLA down 20 to 10 at half and goes on a 34 nothing run and you know that 34 nothing in the second half but it was it was actually the first 20 minutes of the second half they absolutely just dominated you know from that opening kickoff four consecutive TD drives then they got a stop uh, and had a punt return for a touchdown I mean they just everything went their way for the first you know uh, 15, 20 minutes of the second half and just absolutely dominate. I mean, Colorado, you know, they strung some nice plays together in the, in the first half and some nice drives together. Um, you know, I think Brandon Lewis continues to show some improvement. Jarek Broussard had another nice game for Colorado, but it was all really in the first half. I, I think if you looked at their stats in the second half, it was pretty bleak. Um, you know, so credit the UCLA defense for that finished the night with four sacks and nine tackles for a loss. Um, so they just kind of lived in the backfield, especially in the second half. Yeah, just same old thing. It just seemed like second half came and UCLA just had more horses. They just, I mean, their, their second half drive chart, you know, is touchdown 76 yards, touchdown 83 yards, touchdown 75 yards, touchdown 34 yards. You know, and then the game was out of hand by that point. You know, they it went from twenty to seven to forty-four to twenty. Rallied off thirty-seven straight points you know, from late second to early fourth, and Colorado just they they don't have the talent to deal with a barrage like that at this point. So I thought they took took advantage while UCLA was playing poorly. UCLA turned it on, and they had no answer. And and, and you know, you were talking about Chip and the blur. I mean. That was kind of vintage Chip Kelly, though, right? I mean, in 20 minutes, scoring 37 points. Mm-hmm. I mean, granted, it's against a uh, mediocre Colorado program. But, um, yeah, I mean, they, they got – you think about the five best players, best skill position players for UCLA. It's DTR, Charbonnet, Britton Brown. Those guys all had 50-plus yards rushing the ball. And Kyle Phillips and Greg Dulcich, you know, in receiving those guys each had 85 plus yards. So they got the ball, the right guys. Uh, they, they did what they did best and they're, they're a more talented team and it, it showed in the second half. Well, let's hand out some weekly awards. Well, well, well real quick. Oh, do, sorry, sorry. Should we ask I'm Cody anything you'd like to say about that SC Cal game? Pretty exciting. Uh, <laughs> COVID getting the win. Hey, uh, should it, you know, we were talking about how does this play out? Um, so it has been rescheduled and the way it works is basically Cal basically has to ask USC if they want to play. If in USC can say, you know, go pound sand, we want the forfeit. And I think to, to USC's credit, they were willing to play the game um, rather than take, you know, the easy win or whatever. Um so got rescheduled for the end of the year. Neither team has a chance at the Pac-12 championship, so it'll be played on the Saturday following the Pac-12 championship game. You know, so good for the players. Uh, good for the you know and, fans to get one more game. And both schools can still make a bowl game. You guys might not care, but there's actually a you know they call it the weekender. It's a pretty. It's why that the USC plays Stanford and Cal every year is because there's this you know tradition of traveling to that game and you know southern california fans hanging out in the bay area and all that stuff so you're right i don't care so <laughs> i care i care <laughs> sounds like a great weekender <laughs> i remember you telling me not cal so why would you want to hang out in norcal so anyways <laughs> awards who are your who is your are your offensive player of the week Hey, go ahead. I'm throwing you in you want me to go first? I would. Love yes. That. So there was a couple ways I, I went at this. I looked and I said, it's funny because I had complained about him mid game before he turned it on in the second half. But I always feel like we, we talk about, you know, Brown from Oregon, but then we're like, Oh, it's not his week. And honestly, he was the one who eventually just kind of really ran downhill and kind of put the game away. Cause that's, you know, you know, the old, you know, uh, colloquialism if you will that they generally say in basketball is that you got to take what the, the defense gives you it felt like what Washington State was offering was the quarterback run and so Brown took advantage of it but I ultimately trying to not be a homer 
gave it to um, I gave it to Rashad White. I felt like he kind of helped seal the game. I really Jaden Daniels was bad again. Ninety yards passing and interception. You know, Jaden Daniels rushed a little bit, but thirty-two carries, hundred eighty-four yards for White, two touchdowns. It's a long-winded answer. I think you could go either way with Brown and White. I went with White. Yeah, Rashad White accounted for. 237 of ASU's 376 yards. He's 63% of their offense uh, and was for the second week in a row, just, um, you know, kind of that Adrian Peterson all day type running back in the fourth quarter. So I, I think it's him. I, I did have Anthony Brown as my also ran though. I think he, despite your extreme frustration early on, uh, he, I think he had a really nice game 17 for 22 135 yards, so not a ton of yards there, but a touchdown. Um, 120, 123 yards rushing, and let's be real, he had a rushing touchdown. He just got robbed by the cameraman. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it's, it's a clean sweep. I just want to say I jinxed Jaden Daniels, though, giving him my uh, midway MVP, though. Um, <laughs> he's He's been atrocious. I, I'm the- well, I, I did the same for Jarek Broussard as my – uh, preseason offensive uh, player of the year. <laughs> so going to the other side of the ball, who can win them all? Yeah, <laughs> who defensive player of the week? Is it me first again? Go to you go, go this time. Uh, so you know, I, I'm trying to. I'm I'm learning at the feet of Nate Salinas. I'm going with the guy who made the biggest play, uh, defensive play of of the week, in my opinion, Merlin Robertson with a pick six to seal the win for ASU. Um, he had just kind of a, uh, you know, a solid night as a, as a linebacker, but just made a huge play. Um, I think there are a couple of ducks that could merit mentioning if, if you want to do that, Nate. Yeah. I mean, ultimately the leverage play, I think is what wins out Merlin Wobbin, more than Robertson. Marriage is what. That was the game ceiling play. So, you know, it was, he was good otherwise also, I felt like. Um, but it's, it's hard to look away from Kayvon Dibodeau because outside of the stats, he's so dominant. He just, he had Jaden Delora, you know, the quarterback, they talk about like being on your spot. Quarterback drops back. He has a spot he'd like to be at where he knows everything, you know, where to look for the different things and, and kind of the rhythm of those throws. Kayvon had him off that spot in like one second on every single drop back in that second half. Yeah. Del- um, Delora is like, he's always chopping his feet. Like he's always <laughs> ready to move. But I mean, he was immediately, you know, it's one thing for a guy to be able to kind of like work his way towards the sideline. He was working his way towards the sideline and like seven yards further behind the line of scrimmage. I mean, he was, he was, hadn't, you know, drifting right drifting left with almost no chance to make a play because he's so far off his spot yeah and and yeah it was it was from the jump i mean he's just he's just so amazing off the snap so tim i was gonna say i think you also gotta give verone mckinley he's come on this year a little bit of credit probably not in that same category but he was all over the place sorry go ahead tim yeah, no, I, I too had Merwin. Is that how I say it? <laughs> um, but uh, Wobbleton. Wobbleton. uh But uh, no, I mean, you're right about Thibodeau too. I mean, it's it's a toss up between them. Obviously, like you said, the, the game changing play wins out. But Thibodeau, another impressive thing, six solo. I mean, he had six tackles. All of them were solo. Like, mm. you know, I mean, being a defensive lineman, you're usually in a pile of people. But I mean, he's making stops by himself and, you know, getting two sacks as well. He's finally getting home you know not not that he can't get home but you know he's getting those sack numbers up too well that's those are high solo tackle numbers too for someone that you're basically asking to get up field in a blur on every play right you know what i mean so like we led the team in solo tackles his primary responsibility is not run coverage i mean i know everybody has some run, run coverage that's not his okay uh who is your special teams player of the week go ahead cody I'm giving it to three guys that combined to uh, Thomas Reed III, Nazar Bombada blocked the kick for Arizona, and Reddy Short scoops it up and and runs it in for a touchdown. Just a huge play for them. Um, and I think, you know, put Arizona on the verge of uh, an un- what would have been a you know, unbelievable win. So I picked those guys. I think there's a couple others. Um, 
you know, Kyle Phillips had an 82 yard punt return for a touchdown for UCLA. I was tempted to choose him. Uh, Mikhail Wright also had a, a, a great uh, night returning punts for the Ducks. I actually was going to give it to, um, I mean, you were, you did it better by just naming all of it. I was just going to give it to the Arizona special teams unit in general that kind of kept them in this game. Like said the block punt, the punt touchdown, and then also their field goal kicking. I don't know if you saw it, it was three for three, two different guys teaming yeah. up to go three for three. The long kicker made a 57 yarder. Yeah. So, I mean, their special teams came to play and it really gave them a chance to win against a better team. So, I, I agree with both of you. I mean, Phillips was tempting, but it was also 37 to 20. I mean, that kind of puts, I guess it was the nail in the coffin, but Tim, house one. Who you got for coach of the week? Uh, we also didn't talk about Race Porter and his 72-yard uh, <laughs> punt. Um, coach... And his 8.5-yard run on fourth and nine. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, coach of the week, you know, a lot of good options. I'm going to give it to Jonathan Smith, though. I mean, it is Stanford, but Oregon State was kind of spiraling, and he got the team bowl eligible for the first time in eight years. Okay. I'll give it, I'll give, I, I accept that. I'll give a nod, uh, a nod to, to Herm Edwards, second straight game where his guys just kept fighting and um, played well in the fourth quarter for a win. So I'm going to give a surprising nod to uh, Uncle Chip Kelly. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I understand this was a game they were supposed to win, highly favored. There was a point in this that was 27, 20 to 7 in the first half. He is catching a lot of criticism about getting fired. There was probably about 132 people in the Rose Bowl. <laughs> That's generous. That's including the camera crew. <laughs> so, and they and didn't quit. For a ticket. You know, they, they rather than just like giving up. That's the point of the season. Teams generally give up. They they rallied off 37 straight points to give some quiver of life to saving their coach's job or for him saving his own job. So I'll give him a, a little nod on that since you guys took my first choice. Yeah, followed up by, you know, openly challenging reporters <laughs> for opinions they've expressed about him and uh, to, every, yeah. to everything he's, other than a fight. <laughs> he's got he's got some fire back in him, so he's ready to go. So, uh, go to the week. I, I put Dylan Morris. It, maybe that's not fair because he had such a nice start to the game, but man, uh, just a bad pick. Um, just we can't blame John Donovan anymore, and you just have to lay it at someone's feet. And to me, it's the quarterback. I just, fair. you know, you have a hail mary opportunity, and I, he, he was it was they were they were not blocking well for him, but you know your your defense like or your your special teams unit got you an onside kick and an incredible opportunity to actually make a play, and you. You chuck it eight yards. I just, I'm just, it's more, it's more of a cumulative award for a season of frustration. Dylan Morris is certainly deserving. The other person I had is actually uh, David Shaw. I, I, it's just, I mean, it, it's a building. Is he, now. A, is he a back? Is he a back-to-back winner for you? After uh, I only mentioned him because my first choice was taken last time. It's more just like the disappointment. I, I used to kind of like revere this guy. Like it was almost like he was one of those, oh, you knew if you had him, you were going to figure it out type thing. And now it's like they show up, they don't even give an effort. Like they, they might be a Vegas underdog to Evergreen Community College. <laughs> this, this roster stinks. They're lifeless. They got no playmakers. He has no juice on the sideline. He just stands there with his arms crossed, accepting the loss. It's, there's nothing good right now. Sorry. Go ahead. Hey, could they beat Lane Community College? Though? That's the real one. <laughs> Listen, if they had a team, probably not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Um, no, I, I think you both have the, the right ones. Um, you know, it's tough to beat up on Morris. But, I mean, yeah, Shaw, too. I mean, he was, he was always rumored for NFL jobs, too. It just seems like, I mean, yeah, it, 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 it's crazy. But, of course, we say all this. Next year, he'll rip off a North title and we'll be like, Oh yeah, just the down here. But no, the fact that he can't seem to be able to develop a quarterback as a backup that can throw the he's, ball. 
He's not going to have the talent to win the North no, next year or the year after. No, there's no way. There's nobody. There's no way. No way. Um, Unless they get like 13 grad transfers somehow. <laughs> that are just geniuses that can get into their grad programs. So maybe never say never. But. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we've been doing hot seat rankings all year. It's kind of, I, I, I don't know. I mean, we, we can't stop now. Um, <laughs> we've had what two coaches axed already three coaches axed already um, yeah i mean maybe maybe we, let's just be quick and say you know how many more heads are gonna roll by the time you know we get to christmas i would guess just herm man chip is still 50 i mean he did what he had to do this week but I keep coming back to, you know, with Martin Jarman. I think he's looking at that stadium. It's empty. There's no juice. The recruiting's bad. I think he was young. He wants his own guy. The, the money's going to be easy. And then I could also see Cal and, and uh, Wilcox mutually parting ways if there was any opportunity for him to coach anywhere else. So I'm guessing if- two. I'm guessing two of those three between Wilcox, Chip, and Herm. Yeah, well, Chip Chip's going to be favored those last two games, so it'll be easy out for them if he loses to SC. I think it's bigger than the wins, though. You know what I mean? Like the, yeah. It's just he had a chance to capitalize on that juice at the beginning of the year, beating LSU. The stadium was kind of full, and now it's just back to that juiceless, empty stadium, no recruiting. I, I just don't know that Jarmond is going to stand for that, to be honest. So, sorry. No, Um why don't we move to my favorite segment pro husky of the week um i have two for you both this week uh kevin king with a wonderful interception against russell wilson uh now that really hurt me seeing that but uh, the game could have been uh could have been a lot i thought closer. i thought you were kidding but you're still going here okay yeah yeah so then kevin king but also let's not forget shaq thompson uh in a beat down of arizona six tackles a sack a tackle for a loss, two pass defense, two quarterback hits. Shaq Thompson, another one. I've already two. forgotten who was it. Yeah, I, I I put uh I put down Eric Kendricks, uh, eight tackles, not one, four, former UCLA linebacker, eight tackles, a sack, and an interception uh, in the Vikings win over the Chargers. Cody just stole mine. I had Kendricks too. I thought it was going to be a unique thing. People usually nod to the offense. I will throw in a little since. Tim is a little bit out of control with all of his Husky stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that gives me the green light to point out uh, a nice game on Thursday night for Javon Holland. Recent, recent oh. uh, kind of got in there for a sa- uh, sack, a tackle for a loss. I think he had like three pass breakups kind of all over the field. It's kind of like that roving safety role that, um, uh, oh boy, I've just really blown it. Football. Who's, who's the former USC Trojan with the big hair? Palomalo. Kind of playing Troy that, Palomalo. that Palomalo all over the field safety role. So, well, but Kendrick's won it for me. I just wanted to say, you know, um, you guys clearly missed the intent of that segment. Hopefully, you guys <laughs> this segment now. Uh, we've got six games this coming week. Let's give some picks. Uh, we got a Friday nighter. Uh, two of the worst teams in the Pac 12, Arizona and Washington State. Washington um, State's not anywhere near one of the oh, worst teams sorry, in the Pac-12. That was, that was personal opinion. <laughs> no, uh, no. Uh, Arizona at Washington State. Uh, it was that NFL segment that got him out of control. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm just being defensive. Uh, it's in Pullman. Cougs are one victory away from uh, becoming bowl eligible. 14-point favorites. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. This game is on the Pac-12 network. Yeah, it is. I've, I've never seen a night game on the yeah, Pac-12 network. network. I don't know. So going back well, to your partners, it'll be uh, it'll be at least you know digitized. That's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, uh, Arizona's I, building momentum. Yeah, go ahead, Cody. Sorry. No, you go. You go. You go. I was gonna say short week. Any road game on a short week is not not good. You take a bad team like Arizona. Send them on the road on a short week. It's I don't think this is going to be pretty, to be honest with you. I think I think Washington State has good energy. I like this coach. He has them fighting. I'm going to say Wazoo wins by 20. I like the Cougs. I like the Cougs as well. And let's, you know, since we don't want to show favoritism, 
Cougs also have a coach opening. You, who do you think? Do you think Dickert stay, get, gets the job by, by the success he's having, or who are some other possible names you guys have? I mean, I don't know that I've seen an, like some significant leveling up to where it's like, okay, clearly Dickert's the guy. I mean, it, it would feel um, Nate, you're gonna or uh, Nate or Tim, either, one of you's probably gonna remember who's the guy that got promoted, kind of in the euphoria after a bowl win the west virginia interim coach that got oh, stewart. bill stewart yeah stewart bill stewart yeah. i feel like it could be the kind of that situation you know uh or, or a clay helton type situation you know where i just I, I think you just don't want to go with that emotion i mean if if he's the guy he could be the guy but i just i i do think that the defense you know since this has been their best defensive year since grinch left as as a coordinator um so I do like what he's done with that, that part of the job. Um, I don't know. I mean, you know, I, do you think, you know, DeVore from Fresno state, do you think he would be interested in this? Um, That's the big know. question. I think it's hard to know who, you know, what interested, you know, they'll obviously probably make a call back to Grinch, you know, the, yeah. yeah former DC, but it seems like he's probably on the radar for bigger jobs. Uh, I mean, it's not like Oklahoma's defense is like, you know, world breaking at this point. Um, I mean, they're solid. They've definitely improved since he's gotten there. He's definitely, you know, improved them, but I don't know. To me, it seems like WSU's MO, you, you want a guy who's going to come and stay. And so to me, that's like, you know, somebody out of the mountain West, somebody out of the whack. Norvell is the obvious name that comes yeah. to mind that I was kind of sitting on where if he really wants a big five job before he's done, this, this could be his chance. I, I mean, not to go too far backwards, but like Rolovich is like exactly who they wanted. It was like, yeah. you know, throw the vaccine stuff out, but like kind of this, you know, a good, you know, small town, comfortable in that small town environment, you know, really probably wasn't looking to someday get the Michigan job or whatever. You know, um, so also, I, I think I th- they, you want thing- a guy who's going to stay eight, 10 years. You don't want someone who's using your school as the stepping stone. Who's going to, you know, Dave Aranda you and leave you. <laughs> we'll see if that happens. But Well, and I think in the, so real quick in, in this modern day of recruiting, it's harder to find those diamonds in the rust because there's so much exposure. There's so much video, there's so much social media. Right. So I, I think one thing that WSU has really tried to do now with Leach and Rolovich is find someone that runs a unique system. So you can go get guys that are not going to fit at, you know, that Bama is not recruiting, you know, that, that <laughs> Georgia is not recruiting, that Oregon's not recruiting that, that us, well, USC ran the, you know, but I think what USC will get back to like the Carroll SC, if you will, those that they're not recruiting, you know? And so, they're like, we want to get these guys that are top players that just don't fit in another system. And I, I've seen that be kind of like a, an approach to your exact point, why Rolovich was such a perfect fit. Because the guy who wanted to be there had, that had a unique system that could get very particular, small, twitchy receivers that other people were passing on and to build something there that, that could get wins. And so I'm curious if there's another guy out there like that. So, um, what one name and we'll move quickly possibly Oregon offensive coordinator Joe Moorhead does have p5 experience but maybe he's a guy who could use it as a stepping stone as well uh moving to the Saturday games four and six Washington at three and seven Colorado Washington six and a half point favorites over under on this game is 43 points this is not going to be a barn burner according to Vegas uh you know what uh fool me once shame on me fool me twice won't get fooled again you can't fool me twice uh i'm uh i'm going dogs i'm I'm gonna keep betting on the dogs until they pay off i think the i think the huskies are you know gonna get it done defensively and make make a few plays I think the Huskies are the better team, but it's been hard for people to take their games on the road in the Pac-12 this year. And Colorado seems to be improving, and they're the home team. It's an early game. 
weather could be a little nasty and the Huskies, you know, in Colorado, I don't know what the weather's like this weekend, but could be cold and the Huskies don't run the ball. Well, give me the buffs. Yeah, I too will take the buffs just based on going to Boulder. And also, I mean, that's a pretty emotional uh, backbreaking loss to Arizona state. So you got to think momentum and traveling is going to, going to hurt them. Uh, the battle for the victory bell game. Cody will be glued to the TV, watching those red uniforms pop against those powder blues. Beautiful. I've been waiting all year. I think this is going to be my uh, Coliseum dog, you know, bacon wrapped hot dog day. So uh, looking forward to celebrating uh, a game in the Coliseum for sure. I mean, you say like by- three point favorites. Yeah. The FPI favors uh, USC um UCLA knows what they're doing they know how to run the ball SC's run defense is bad uh I think I think Chips takes another puts another uh notch on his belt and cool cools you know maybe maybe he's not cooling his seat but you know those little uh tiny little fans that kids have yeah you know they're just a battery powered fan he's got maybe he's got one of those on his seat after this after this win um, yeah this is an interesting game go ahead Tim you know, oh no no, no no you go you go Sorry. Well, I, I think Cody's, I think, I think Chip is coaching for his job. It's kind of an interesting, which appeared to send them in the wrong direction in the first half last week, but then kind of came back from that. Um, I also don't, I'm interrupting, sorry, but I also ahead. just, I think USC is probably going to continue this awful two quarterback experiment. And I just think that they'll, it'll keep them out of rhythm. So. Yeah, I, I like I like UCLA. I just think they have more to play for. Um, you know, chance for a decent bowl game still, and, and you know, and I, USC's been bad at home too. You know, I think you can take that away. But so it, we'll see. But I'll take UCLA. Yeah, I mean, their only wins at home are against San Jose State and Arizona. So. They, uh, I'm going to go UCLA as well, unless we start hearing reports of uh, Uncle Chip at SeaTac being spotted at SeaTac Airport. <laughs> Um, we'll get through these, uh, last three games fairly quickly. Um, the, the big game three and six Cal at three and seven Stanford Cal five point favorites. Um, I have no idea how this is a five point game. I mean, Cal's Cal's unless Cal still can't feel the full roster. I mean, they've, they've had plenty of time to rest up. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I mean, if I have Cal. If Cal is back, all the players, like to Cody's point, this was more probably over-aggressive quarantining rules. It doesn't sound like anybody got super sick. Everyone was vaccinated. So I'd imagine Cal's just been at home, like resting, like getting right. As long as all their guys are back, they should be fresh. And and frankly, Stanford stinks. I could see Cal winning this game by 17. Yeah, I'm I'm going to go Cal as well. Just, I mean, no faith any of us in Stanford. Uh, all right. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about the seven 30 game first. Then we'll make our predictions. Then we'll save the big game for last. Uh, the seven 30 night game on ESPN seven and three Arizona state at six and four Oregon state ASU three point favorites at Reeser. Who you guys got? Yeah, I think so. These two teams technically still have minuscule chances of winning their division. Um, you know, I think Oregon State has a much more reasonable chance of winning their division because they just need, you know, Utah to win. And for them, you know, Oregon State needs to win. And then it's a, you know, winner take all game the following week, whereas ASU needs Utah to lose to this week and next week uh, and win out themselves. So I think, you know, maybe Oregon State has a little bit more to play for. Um, I think the bees are five and out home. They were turnover free last week. Uh, not that they've been super consistent, but it just makes me feel a little more comfortable with them. I, I think, you know, ASU has been able to kind of get hot in the fourth quarter the last two weeks, but I don't, I don't think you can keep winning games that way. So I, I'm going with beefs. Yeah. I'm, I'm with, I, you know, I'm with you. Take the beefs. They're playing at home. They've been great at home this year. Like, I mean, they beat, what, Utah at home by double digits? They just trounced Stanford. Um, are they undefeated at home? Yeah. They are. They're 5-0 yeah. at home. Um, 
Go ahead. No, no, you go. Sorry. That's it. They're great at home. And ASU, frankly, has not looked good the last couple of weeks. It felt like Washington beat themselves more so than, than Arizona State, like really, you know, I'm not taking away from Merlin Robinson's play, but like, I don't know. It just, it, it feels like Washington beat themselves. I don't, I don't have any confidence in ASU. I'll take Oregon State. Yeah, I will also take Oregon State. I mean, I hate that we all three agree, but I have no confidence in Arizona State. A game that I don't think we'll all three agree on, the marquee game, the conference title preview. Number three, Oregon, nine and one at number 24, Utah, seven and three. Utah, three-point favorites. Yeah, uh, Vegas likes Rice Eccles. I mean, uh, you know, maybe I'm repeating myself a little bit with the last game. I just think Oregon has, you know, you could look at it one or two ways. You could say Oregon has so much more to play for. I think they'll come in more motivated. You know, Oregon or Utah pretty much has the South locked up. So no matter what happens, you know, they just have to go beat Colorado next week and then they'll face Oregon again for the championship. I mean, so from that perspective, on the flip side, you could say, well, you know, is Oregon just going to like, is this going to be like a hitting streak where the the weight of week after week having to win eventually, you know, exhaust them a little bit emotionally. So uh, I, I think Oregon has more to play for. I, I, I think that crystal ball, in his tenure has gotten them up for big games. And I think what I saw from Oregon in terms of the, the, you know, the pass rush and getting the Laura office spot makes me think that they can really bother cam rising and, and render him ineffective. So I think the ground games will both be solid for both teams. These are probably the, you know, the two best offensive lines and maybe the two best defensive lines in the conference at this point. So it should be a really fun battle up front. I just think um, – I think Oregon has a few more, maybe a little bit better skill position. And I think it'll be close, though. I, you know, it's maybe a, a 31-28 type game. I'm going Ducks. I, I think it's going to be an interesting game. I think that uh, the big things I want to see are, is Oregon going to be able to run the ball? You know, so is their offensive line going to get a push on – Utah's kind of defensive front because I, I don't think Anthony Brown can win you a game on the road. I think we've seen that at this point, not with his arm, at least. You know, um, and then the other big thing is Oregon doesn't really allow you to run the ball for the whole game, and so how's Cam Rising to Cody's point going to hold up to kind of getting moved off his spot? Will Whittingham be able to scheme some stuff up where he kind of moves the pocket? Does those things where you roll someone out, dump to the to the tight end for some first downs here or there? And I think that's going to kind of be where the game's won or lost. At the end of the day, I, I think Oregon just has a handful of premium athletes like Thibodeau or whatever. And in a big game like this, it, it's usually the stars that win the game. So I'll take Oregon by seven. I'm going Utah at home. Uh, Ducks, I mean, Ducks are the better team. But like we said, going to Rice Eccles, going on the road. I don't trust 18 22-year-olds to pull off the game when they're the uh, – when they can – they're so close they can taste it to that playoff spot. All right. I got three games. We're going to rapid fire these. These are the non, non-conference non games. So, just like we said, rapid fire. Number seven, Michigan State at number four, Ohio State. Ohio State, 19-point favorites at the horseshoe. Who you guys got? Shocking. Shocking to see 19 points. I think Ohio State wins the game, but I mean, 19 seems like a lot. I think Michigan State plays good enough defense and can run the ball, which Ohio State doesn't stop that well. I, I think Ohio State will win by 10. I think the I think the reason is that the, for the spread is that despite Michigan State being kind of pretty solid up front, I think their secondary is pretty bad. Like they, mm. as as you know, as you saw against Purdue, um, I think Ohio State obviously. Well, maybe not obviously. I think Ohio State wins. Uh, so, and I, to some degree, understand the spread. But yeah, it's it does seem pretty big for a couple, you know, top ten teams. Ohio State wins, but I would take Michigan State uh, if I was throwing money to cover. Yeah, to cover. Uh, the ACC, uh, not quite championship game, but number twelve Wake Forest at unranked Clemson. Clemson three and a half point favorites at home. Uh, give me Wake. Just for fun. Yeah. 
This is a really interesting game to me because I think scheme and momentum and coaching this year and flow all points to Wake. I think Clemson has so many more horses in the trenches, more just so much more trench talent, you know. But you know what? Give me Wake. I'll, I'll be pulling for Wake. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you guys on Wake. But, uh, yeah, I don't want us to all agree, but eh, we'll all go Wake. Uh, my last game, probably not the one you would think I would pick. It's a uh, – well, it's not called – it would be called Bracket Busters if it was college basketball. Eight and two SMU at number five Cincinnati. Ten and zero Cincinnati. Twelve point favorites. Uh, Bearcats. I'll take SMU just to give us something interesting. I I'm think the Bearcats. I'm gonna go SMU too. Uh, just Cincinnati's been a little sloppy. It seems like they're uh, they're playing with fire. Playing, yeah. So and SMU, they've had two losses, but they're a good team. Well coached, Sonny Dykes, guy who's getting locked up. Uh, Stay at SMU, but uh, should have a lot of suitors. How about I see undefeated UTSA, only a four and a half point favorite at home against UAB? It yeah. could be a thriller. That will be. They, they came close to losing last week as well, though. So mm-hmm. we shall see. Well, anything else you guys have to add? No, I mean, this is a huge week for, for the conference and for, you know, or the statistics, you know, will still tell you Oregon's less less it's still unlikely that Oregon can run the table just because they've got you know um this road game and then a neutral site game against you know likely against Utah so but this is a big hurdle for them and you know we'll be you know if they can get the victory will be their second best win so it'll be interesting to see can they get the win and then you know does you know you know where does that shake out in terms of you know, playoff rankings and stuff like that as well. Yeah, I think one thing to keep on our radar this week, it's it's not been a secret up in uh, up in Montlake, up in up in Seattle that uh, that Jimmy Lake likes to swing the sticks. He likes to play golf. If you're following the handicap this week, how many times does Jimmy get out and play golf this week? <laughs> now <laughs> with that luggage off his back, hey, he's already- he's got. He's got 10 million in greens fees that he can use for the next two years. So he's, uh, he's already changed his Twitter handle, but he said he's always a dog. Um, I have two corrections. Uh, one, I was very passive aggressive there. Like what else do you guys have to talk about? So apologies <laughs> for that. Um, and I wanted to apologize to the Michael James. You know, I thought that he having a pro career when you run for less than 200 yards as a second round pick, you're out of the league in one year. Michael James actually played four years in the NFL, but a nice 177 rushing yards. So he now owns a killer burger in uh, the Cedar Hills neighborhood of Beaverton here in the Portland area. If any of our listeners are ever hungry, it's a great establishment. He's usually there. He's happy to take photos, sign things, say hello. He also, Tim, to take nothing away from him. Yeah, made about three million dollars playing NFL football. So that's no joke. Okay? There you go. There you go. He's made more than I ever have. Got paid a lot of paid a lot of money to play a child's game. So that's that's right. yeah. No, and, that's and we right. need to re- he like prefers to be called the Mike as well. The Mike, yeah. So for Cody and Nate, I'm Tim, and this has been Best Coast Football. <laughs>